fun when you're doing a passage like Psalm 23. It's, there's, a, there's a different song every week that somebody's written on the, that's a beautiful one. I really love that. Uh, Lord, uh, would you be with us now as we open up your words in scripture? I let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. You are our rock and our redeemer, and you're our shepherd, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, first things first, we're working on memorizing Psalm 23. If you haven't yet memorized it, this is your chance to practice. And so we're going to put it up here and we're going to say it together. We don't normally do that when we read the scripture for our sermon, but this is what we're doing with Psalm 23. So get ready. Uh, you got your help there and I uh, want to encourage you, you know, note those places where you still need to work on it. And then later on this week, you can work on it so that eventually you've got this Memorize. It's like a secret weapon that God wants to deposit in your brain so that whatever happens in life, you've got it there, ready to go when you need it. So don't miss this opportunity, all right? Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. I think the decibel level is going up each week a little bit, so that's great. Uh, keep at it. Keep working at it. Do that in your home groups and put it on your mirror, you know, when you're driving to work or taking BART or whatever you do. You know, go over it. Put a little on a little card. Go over it. Uh, let this just continue to soak into every phrase in this psalm is pregnant with meaning. It's incredible. Today I'm going to preach on just not even a whole verse. And I'm like, how do I ever even preach on a whole verse, let alone a paragraph? I mean, there's just so much richness in it. So um, it's a great psalm. It's a, it's a secret weapon for you to carry around so that you've got a spiritual tool in your back pocket for when you need it. Now, last week and this week are closely tied together. There are four phrases in the very beginning there. He makes me lie down, right? He leads me, he restores, and then he leads me again. So these are things that God, our good shepherd, does with us and in us and through us. They're very closely tied together. Um, yesterday, last week, excuse me, I encourage you to let God make you lie down. Let God make you lie down. And the, and the point there was to really think about the importance of rest. It strikes me that those first three phrases are on rest. And then we get to this week's topic, which I've entitled just action. So last week was rest and this week is action. And I encouraged you last week to think through how you would rest. And we got very practical. I was encouraging you to actually re-embrace the concept of Sabbath. Sabbath is a lost art, but it's a commandment. 
in the Bible. And it is important for us to recognize our humanity and to rest. And there's a rhythm of a week every seven days. And it just seems that as you follow God's commands in that, you will experience a sense of flourishing by resting. And so I was encouraging you to start on Saturday night at dinner time and have a nice meal with people and then uh, do restful things um, throughout this evening. And then on Sunday morning, you know, you sleep in, you don't set the alarm, you come and worship because remember when you set, it's a Sabbath to the Lord. You do need something that will turn your attention to God. If you just stay in sort of the realm of the flesh and the base things, you're not going to have the kind of Sabbath that you need. So some time in worship with your brothers and sisters, and it will get your mind thinking about the things of God. And then you go home and you eat some more and you take a nap or you come to the welcome lunch today and enjoy some food. And you you just, and and then after dinner in the evening, you sort of get back on it to prepare for your week. So that's what I'm encouraging us to do. And I keep, this is now my third time circling back to this. As Martin says, this is a culture shift. This is a culture shift for a lot of us. And the way that we we approach Sunday, the way we think about Sunday, and so that's why I keep repeating it. Um, There are these bookmarks that are in the back. You can grab one. We've put them on the seats twice already, so we didn't do it today, but there are lots more in the back there. And uh, there are just a number of terms here to help you think through what it means to Sabbath well. The first one is to stop, cease all work, leave your phone in the drawer, your laptop closed, and your tools on the bench. Give yourself permission to do nothing. Like literally do nothing. Just stop. Just stop. That's the first guideline. That's the first mindset. Then adore. So stop, adore. These are going to spell Sabbath. So the idea is that on the Sabbath, you might remember these and it'll help you to practice a Sabbath. Adore, focus attention on the exalted Lord, his works, his words, and his attributes. I've been Sabbathing for a long time and I have done an experiment. Uh, And when I don't do this, when I don't worship God, when I don't get my mind trained on the higher things, the things of the Lord, then the Sabbath doesn't go uh, like, like it otherwise would. I'm missing a big piece. So this is really important. B, suspend all doing and emphasize simply being. We spend so much of our lives focusing on what we want, what we're going to do. But you know, we're not human doings, we're human beings. And we need a time in the week when we, when we just be, just be. Um, believe, this is an interesting one perhaps for some of you, but Sabbath requires trust. This is a key point. You cannot stop if you're not trusting God to take care of things, if you're, if you're relying on your own self, then you won't stop because it's all on you. And so one of the powerful dynamics of Sabbath is that it forces you to develop the skill of placing your trust in the Lord. You take your hands off the controls and you let God do what he does. And part of that is also to accept, lay aside all striving towards what could be and accept what is. You know, I take those personality tests, I come off as like intense, competitive, whatever. And so I'm constantly driving at fixing and solving and making better what's happening around me. And so one of the skills for me to develop is to sit back and just say, you know what? This is what it is right now. Accept it and embrace it just for a little while. Monday will come and I'll be back at it, right? But for now, just accept what is. That's, one, that's the hardest thing for me. 
Uh, And then table or together, spend time with others around good food. And then lastly, have fun. Do that which causes you to do delight in the Lord, in others, and in the world God made. So that will get you with people. That will get you outside to see the glories of God's creation, etc., etc. Find those things that cause you to delight. So we are talking about a culture shift. And so, yes, we're in this little rally season right now, but this is just a short little season where we're kind of coming back from the summer where you've had lots of rest, Lord willing, and we're kind of getting things in order. That's what we do kind of as a, as a church family. We need to do that. But this is long term. We are, we are looking at having Sunday really uh, be experienced as a Sabbath when you come here to worship and as you, the way that you spend your day. So it's a, it's a culture shift. So that's why I'm hitting it over and over again because it's so, so, so important. There are four phrases as I I said in the beginning of this text, and three of them are about <clears throat> finding rest, about being resourced in the Lord. And I shared with you the story about how in 2018 I went on sabbatical, and previous to that time, the way I kind of did life was I would work really, really hard, and then I would crash and try to rec- recuperate my strength and energy. And the Lord did something really interesting on my sabbatical. He flipped it around 180, so it became Find, resource yourself in the Lord. Dig deep in prayer, in community, in relationship, in the scriptures. Resource yourself in the Lord. Get vision from God and let that compel you into action. Rather than doing a bunch of things until you can't anymore and then trying to figure out how to restore yourself in the Lord. Now, life is messy and it's going to be a little bit of both of those. But it's interesting to think about resourcing yourself in the Lord first and out of that you act in the world. Rest comes first. It certainly does in this psalm. And, the, and, and rest requires more attention than action, apparently. Because there's three phrases, three parts of this beginning section about rest and being restored in the Lord. And then just one, the text for today, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now that background is really essential because you, 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 if you just hear today's message, you're going to miss the source of being able to live, being able to act on behalf of the Lord. And we, we are, as Christians, this is an act of faith. What we believe is, is to live an active life. Christians live a life that's filled with action, but it comes out of restfulness in the Lord. So my words for today are going to be around uh, sort of these frameworks. Embrace the life of action God has for you, Okay. Making sure you understand that comes out of the restfulness in the Lord. And then we're going to take this thing and work through it backwards. So he, the, the verse says, he leads me in path of righteousness for his namesake. We're going to start with his namesake. And then we're going to talk about paths of righteousness. And then we're going to talk about how he leads us along those. So that's what we're going to do in the time we have today uh, looking at this verse. All right. For his namesake. He leads me in paths of night righteousness for his namesake. What is What does it mean that it says for his namesake? Uh, every, like I said, every little phrase in this psalm is exceedingly rich. Um, and this one calls us uh, to do everything for the Lord's sake. There are other ways that we talk about this. We, we talk about um, living a God-centered life. Or a Christ, if you want to put it in New Testament terminology, a Christ-centered life. We use that kind of language and it's in the same realm of living for his name's 
sake. And I, I, I kind of came with a little diagram here, conceptually, what this looks like. I, I, this helps me. It's been helping me in my journal. I, I wrote this months ago, and I keep going back to it. So if you go to the next slide, um, actually the one right before that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, so this is how I often, and maybe you experience this, frame up my life. I kind of look at the world, and my, I'm in the center, and then I've got relationships and various concerns around the outside, And then as I need help, I reach out to God to assist me to do all the things that I need to do, that I think I'm in control of doing, right? This is the thing about, this is the thing about God's word is it is so insightful and so powerful to actually change us on the inside. So look at the, look at what this is suggesting in the next slide. We put God at the center And we begin to see ourselves as one of those elements. Of course, you know, we have to acknowledge the importance of our own identity to ourselves. We have to see the world through our own lens. But we are one of many centered around the Lord. uh, But we're just one. And we begin to think through the lens of what happens in my life and how, how does it benefit God rather than myself primarily And how does it further the work of God? And how does it flow in and out of who God is as opposed to putting myself at the center of my life? I was sitting around a table with five other uh, leaders this week and um, I suggested something and the woman across from me uh, gently but lovingly pushed back on what I was saying. Almost, almost to kind of correct, uh, you know, it's kind of correcting a little bit. And, I, and the, so in that moment, this happens to us daily, right? We're having these kinds of conversations. Um, and in that moment, you know, how I respond is shaped by the world, how the world is framed for me. Think of these two drawings. Um, if it's the first one, if it's, if it's all about me, then my impulse in that moment is to defend my point because I'm concerned that somehow I might, I personally might be diminished and my world is about me. But if my, if, if, and, and, and I will even, oh, this is the, this is the part I, I almost forgot. I'll even, this is crazy. I'll even ask God to help me argue my point to defend myself right? If we have the framework kind of misread. But now look at the other drawing. If, if, if my life is, is functioning in that way, then, I, then that challenge that's come to me takes on a completely different uh, perspective. My perspective on it, I should say, is completely different. I'm more likely to give that feedback, that input, that correction, like a fair shake. I'm, a, I'm able to look at the merits of it because I'm, I'm okay being wrong because I realize that I'm just one small piece of the larger picture. I don't have to try to control everything so that I come out on top. Ultimately, I want God to win. And and the way God wins oftentimes is by me being corrected and changed. As uncomfortable as that might be. Because I'm the center, then, you know, uh, I'm going to feel diminished. But if God's at the center... It's okay that I experience a sense of diminishment temporarily 
Because ultimately, now this team of six people sitting around this table, we've gotten to a greater place of clarity about what's supposed to happen and what will bring God glory, right? That's just one small way. Now, you could have a million examples of the way that simple mental shift changes how you move through the world. In fact, um, you know, we could try and manage, this is the thing that, that I love about being a Christian, about following Jesus, is that I could attempt to manage my responses so it looks like it's not about me. And that becomes a very arduous work, right? And exhausting. Because I'm trying to make sure that whenever I'm in a conversation or whatever is happening, I'm, I'm responding in the right way, even though deep down, what I really want is the first picture. And the power of the gospel, the, the power of a life with Jesus is that Jesus goes right to the core of who you are. And he wants to bring change and transformation at the very center. And when he does that, you, have, you can let go of trying to manage your life and you can live freely. Now, it's a long process to get there. I think for most people, maybe for you, you're over on that side with God at the center fully all the time. Praise God. I'm a work in progress. But I am so grateful to have a shepherd who is taking me there. Because the freedom that comes from that is beautiful and glorious and wonderful. And I, as I sense myself living into it, I sense the joy that comes with it. Now, okay, so you say, well, actually, I am living on this side with me at the center, and I would like to move over to the other side. How do I do that? Very quickly, here are some initial first steps. How does the change take place? Well, first of all, you have to be aware. You have to get a vision for what things could be like. That it's possible to live with God at the center of your concern and not yourself. So the vision is the first step, be aware. Um, and then the second step is to repent. And we can do this right now together. I know I need to. I know there are many ways in which I have put myself at the center of my life. And I need to repent of having done that. So you can repent with me. Lord, I'm sorry. I've not lived for your sake. It's amazing. God can hear you saying that in your mind. He can hear me saying it out loud. He can absorb it all at the same time. Um, I've not lived with you at the center. I've not evaluated my circumstances for what leads to your increase over mine. And other ways that you may want to say that to the Lord. Maybe there's something, some very specific, tangible way you're thinking of right now. The Holy Spirit is with us because the church is gathered and conviction can come. A sweet conviction that helps us to live into greater freedom. And so maybe you're being convicted in a particular way about having put yourself at the center of your existence. And God wants to free you from that this morning. He wants to teach you something greater. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's one of the richest paradoxes of the Christian faith. That to be able to lose yourself, to get out of the center, actually ends up causing you to find life in all of its richness and abundance. And so to the extent that you and I haven't been doing that, we can repent. 
And that's part of the process of experiencing freedom. And then we invite God to do the work. Help me, Lord, to let go of myself into the larger whole and to view the world from the perspective of what blesses you and what glorifies you. Simple steps to begin to move from the left to the right uh, on that chart. Okay, for his name's sake. So there's so much more that could be said about that. I encourage you to read Dallas Willard's book, uh, Life Without Lack. Uh, I think maybe in some, I couldn't remember where, some of his other books though too, he really uh, addresses this particular topic of putting God at the center. Um, but now we gotta move on to uh, the second point, which is paths of righteousness, paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now we know why, so they'll bring God glory. Now what are these paths of righteousness? For the sheep, you know, you would trans- translate this as right paths, correct paths, good paths, uh, paths that lead to uh, good pasture and lots of clean, beautiful water. That's what a path of righteousness is, is for a sheep. So that they can be nourished and they can use their special gift, which is what? To grow wool on themselves, right? So if they're well fed and taken care of and nurtured, and, 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 and the shepherd here leads the sheep on good paths that lead to uh, them flourishing and, and, and being able to give their special gift to the world, which is their wool. For humans uh, who love the Lord, there's a fuller sense to paths of righteousness, right? We know the word righteousness is all throughout the scriptures, and it's, a very, it's one of those 10-ton words, I like to say. It's very rich. Um, back in, in 1518, I'm just going to, this will be fun. Um, Martin Luther preached a sermon called Two Kinds of Righteousness. And he's very insightful. Uh, In fact, many people continue to think about righteousness in this way. He talks about a received righteousness and an achieved righteousness. So let's just just spend one second on that because this is going to be a tool for your toolbox as you think spiritually about righteousness. Received righteousness, or it can also be referred to as alien righteousness, righteousness that comes from outside of you, is a gift of God. And it comes based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And one of the ways that scholars, theologians throughout the ages have talked about this kind of righteousness is they, they talk about it as quorum Deo. You are righteous, what that means, before God. You are made righteous before God. Even though you may, you may still mess up, you may still sin because of the work that, that's been done on the cross on your behalf and then you, that, that doesn't, that's you putting your faith in Jesus as your savior, that righteousness is then given to you, it's imputed to you. So before God, you, when, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus is one way that people say it. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Okay, that's, a, that's a, an, a, a, an alien righteousness, a received righteousness uh, it comes from Jesus Christ. So we could say John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am, the, said to Thomas who's doubting, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what's the way to this? What's the path of this righteousness? It's Jesus Christ. Because he says, I am the way uh, and the truth uh, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to come to God, if you want to stand before God righteously, which means that you can then enter into heaven and have all the benefits and the blessings and the glory of heaven, then you need a received righteousness. You need it from God. You need it through the work of Jesus Christ, and you accept that through in faith when you say yes to Jesus. So that's one kind of righteousness. It's, it's quorum Deo, before God. But then there's another righteousness the achieved righteousness, which is, which is the, it's imperfect. We could talk about this quorum mundi, which is our righteousness before the world. And um, an example scripture of this would be Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, the pathway terminology, you have, you have Jesus being the way, but then you have the pathway of that, that Jesus has prepared for us of good works. And we, 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 we attempt to walk along that path. We fail, but with God's help, we increasingly inhabit the character traits that reflect the righteousness of God. And the world sees that in us. And it becomes a witness to the world of who God is. So there's, there's those two kinds of righteousness and here, it seems to be uh, to the forefront that he leads me in paths of righteousness. Of course, ultimately, we'll understand that's to receive righteousness, but it's also to demonstrate righteousness for his namesake to the world. We are all to walk in good works, um, and some of those good works that we walk in are the same for all of us, right? There's some righteous traits that are true of all followers of God, all followers of Jesus. And then there are some which are unique to who we are and the purposes God has for us individually in our lives. And so when we think about paths of righteousness, we think about our impact on the world, and some of that is the same as what everybody does, and some of it's unique to who we are. A helpful way to think about that is to think about, as a Christian, you have a last name and a first name. Your last name is Christian, but your first name is unique. And so you have a pathway that it has elements that are like uh, everything else, everyone else, and then you have a pathway that's unique to you. So on the, on the last name side, you've got, you know, living out the Ten Commandments. We're all called to do that. Living out the fruit of the Spirit. We're all called to do that. Living out the Beatitudes. We're all called to do that. Being a, a person who lives on mission, who carries out evangelism. We're all called to do that. Serving the body of Christ. Worship discipleship, prayer, Bible study, community, the list could go on and on and on. These are the things that we all do as Christians. This is the righteous path down which we walk together as the Lord enables us. But then we also have our first name. We have unique individual spiritual gifts. We uh, recently redid our spiritual gifts inventory, right? So we could get you a copy that's also online. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, we want to help you with that. Because this starts to shape how you, how you move through the world and demonstrate uh, God's goodness to the world. You have personality qualities. You have experiences. You have passions that the Lord has placed in your heart. Things that you really care about. Sometimes you don't even know why, but you just really care about this thing. And so that shapes the way that you move through the world. You have unique opportunities. Sometimes people will say to you, hey, would you like to do this? And because you've been given that opportunity, that becomes a pathway down which you can walk that's unique to you. Because 
for whatever reason, that opportunity was given to you. And I can't emphasize enough how significant it is that you understand that every one of you has been called to serve in the body of Christ. That you have this, you have this sense of identity which is part of who you are uh, in Christ and then you have a calling to work and live uh, your, your particular unique calling. There's this interesting verse, somewhat cryptic at, at the end of the book of Revelation when it talks about this first name, last name idea. Um, and, and so, but to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone. So in heaven, there'll be this white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So you get a unique name and that name presumably embodies what your unique calling is in the world, what your place is in the world. And so that's heaven. From now until heaven, we're sort of working that out. We're trying to understand as you, as you get older, you know, your understanding of how God works through you becomes more precise, more specified, and then you can, you can live into that more and more fully. But it all starts when you embrace these two truths. You are righteous in Christ, Coram Deo, and you have good works unique to you to carry out Coram Mundo before the world. All right. Now this takes us to the last part, which is he leads me. I've been talking about the book by Dallas Willard and then also the book by Philip Keller, uh, Shepherds Look at Psalm 23. I encourage you to pick it up and, and read it or listen to it. And in that, Philip Keller, who was a shepherd and a pastor, describes uh, a, a, an aspect of shepherding that you may not have known about. I certainly know about this. Um, that when sheep are left to their own devices, they will go down the same paths repeatedly. They will go to the same pastures over and over again. They'll go to the same watering hole over and over again. Even when the pasture has become brown and barren and the waters have become muddy and disease infested, they just don't have the creativity to find a new place. And so they just keep going down the same path even when it's, it's causing them you know, to fail to flourish in the way that they otherwise would. So, so we've seen that sheep stray when they're supposed to stay with the shepherd and then they, they stay when they should be looking you know, for a different pathway. So this sheep are just ridiculous and we're like them. Uh, and, so, and so sometimes we need a shepherd to show us how, what kinds of changes need to take place in our lives. Why do we keep going down the same path even when it, when it harms us? Why do sheep do this? Well, it's familiar, right? And it's comfortable to them. That's why, because it's familiar and it's comfortable and they're stuck in a rut. That's what that, act that phrase actually comes from, is to be stuck in a rut, going down the same path over and over again. And again, this is where I find being a Christian following Jesus is one of the most amazing things because remember, we worship a living God who is dynamic. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he's, he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he is still working. He's interceding on our behalf. And so things are not static with us when we're following Jesus. There is a dynamism. There is a movement. There is change. All of that is possible because Jesus is living. We don't worship a dead God. So um, you have to let your shepherd take you down a new path that might be uncomfortable, right? 
and, and, and that can be destabilizing a little bit, but will ultimately lead to greater flourishing on your behalf. And that's what happens in life so many times. And that's why the transformation that we want doesn't come because we're not letting Jesus take us down a different pathway. Change is uncomfortable, it's destabilizing, but it's also where the hope comes in, right? Was it Einstein who said, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? And we, in our spiritual lives, we often will approach it in that way. And we need our living God, shepherd, to lead us down a different path. And so a good question for you to ask yourself, for us to ask ourselves is, where is the Lord pressing me into a place of discomfort? And is this because he's leading me down a new pathway? One that I haven't experienced before, but that will contain at the end of it, a rich source of food and water. So where are those, where are those pinch points in your life? Where's that sense of discomfort and is it possible that God is using that to, to bring change in your life? Hopeful change, good change, renewing change, restorative change. It, that's a, a powerful spiritual question for you to be asking yourself, for me to be asking myself. Now it's delicate, right? Because change is delicate. There, God's not the only one who's trying to lead us down a pathway. This world has an enemy named Satan. And he also uses discomfort to try to move us. We also have our own sinful desires which create discomfort. And they try to move us in a particular direction as well. Sadly, if it's Satan or sin or combination of those two, we will find ourselves at the muddy waters or the barren pasture. So how do you know? How do you know if you're being led down a true path of righteousness? And the answer is in that little word, he, shepherd. Take a page from the sheep. One thing about a sheep is it knows the voice of its shepherd. They say that you could bring multiple flocks together this would happen. They would go to a particular pasture and all these multiple flocks would be grazing. They're done. They're going back home. They're walking along the road and there's a fork in the road. And the, the two different shepherds, all they have to do is to start calling to their sheep and the sheep will separate out into their appropriate flocks because they know the voice of the shepherd. And how do you get to know the voice of your shepherd? Time. Time. Listening. Being. You can do the same thing that the sheep does so that at the crossroads, you know the voice of the shepherd. You're more likely to hear the voice of the shepherd by becoming increasingly familiar with the voice of your Lord. When things are unstable, you know, this is when you need it most. Give the Lord extra time in your life. Read the scriptures more, not less, when things are challenging. Pray more, not less. Get in godly community more, not less. And if you're in a season of ease, do it in anticipation 
of the valley of the shadow of death that is, that is certainly going to come in your life at some point. Get to know the voice of your shepherd so that you can discern when he is leading you down a path of righteousness. Psalm 25, end with this. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And so God, today we ask that you would help us to hear your voice, that wherever we're led, it would be because you are doing the leading, the good shepherd, and not some imposter who wants to move in and abuse us and make use of us and destroy us. Help us to hear your voice, Lord. Would you lead us down paths of righteousness? And by that we mean, would you remind us that our identity is secure in Christ, that we are made righteous before you, and we therefore do not have to doubt about who we are. We, we can be confident before you. And would you change us and grow us and transform us so that we can live out your traits in the world? And, and by that, can we have impact on people's lives for good? as they see your qualities lived out, evident in us. And God, would all of this be done for your name's sake? Help us to get out of the center, to get you in the center of our lives, and to live according to what blesses you, what elevates you, what testifies to you, what shares you. Help us to be the kind of people Jesus talked about when he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you want to save it, like you're desperately trying to save your life, be ready to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Lord, that's a promise we can live into. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.